We're continuing talking about our interactions uh, with the with the world around us. Um, over the four years, four and a half years that we've been here, um, I have um, had the pleasure of working with lots of people. Some some have moved, and uh, some are new additions. But I've enjoyed this congregation immensely uh, over these these four and a half years. However, yesterday evening. Uh, I had the effect of about five Mountain Dews uh, after a number of phone calls. Um, in the broadcasting world, that's known as a teaser, so you're going to have to stay awake till the end of the sermon to figure out why. We are um, in the uh, book of Daniel, uh, chapter uh, 5, beginning. We're going to open up, we're going to kind of read this in a little bit of, uh, differently. We're going to kind of do this in a couple sections. We'll read most of this uh, uh, in a little bit, but I want to open up uh, in Daniel uh, chapter 5. We're going to just kind of back back up a little bit uh, into last week's material because we're in this period of transition between kingdoms, between, uh, between Babylon and Persia. And I want to just read kind of the, this, this transition. It's a kind of an interesting section here. It says, Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he would be the third ruler of the kingdom. We talked about that, about, uh, about how Belshazzar was kind of underneath Nabonidus and, and so he had the power to make Daniel the third. Uh, so, so he actually followed through with that. Uh, and that uh, very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. I don't know what a satrap is, uh, but it's uh, some kind of official guy. Uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them there were three high officials of whom Daniel was one. To whom these satraps should give account. So that, Daniel, or so that the king might suffer no loss. And then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. So the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. I want to follow this a little bit. We just kind of picture ourselves in this room. Uh, so, so Nabonidus, we don't know where he's at. We do know, though, however, from, from uh, the chronicles of, of, of Persian stuff, that Nabonidus was killed this evening, wherever he was. He died in this, in this takeover, as was his son. And, and so, just before that, uh, he was, Daniel was made the third in line. Now do the math. Uh, so in, in walks, uh, and actually I believe at this time Cyrus was the was the was the general. He wasn't the the emperor yet. So in walks Cyrus, and uh, and he's uh, who's in charge here, you know? And here's Daniel, and uh, Daniel looking around, and uh, I, I've got the I've got the wonderful necklace here, and uh, there's a line of succession here. Um, this guy's dead, and, and, and that guy's dead, so I, uh, I guess that leaves me. So for about uh, uh, enough time to have a royal cappuccino, Daniel was the emperor of the, of the Babylonian Empire, uh, right until the Persians took it over. That's my math, anyway. So in, in comes Cyrus, and uh, as we read this, we can... Cue the complaints from the critics of the book of Daniel. We're going to do this again. Yes, we have to do this again. Because um, depending on the history you read and, and, uh, and, and 
who you are. They want to criticize this book because they say, well, we cannot find a guy by the name of Darius the Mede. We don't know who this guy is. He never existed, so therefore Daniel is making it up. All right, well, we have different historians, and no matter which historian you read, there are a couple of people that fall in line as, as possible people. So, for example, we could read Herodotus. A lot of, he's a, a famous historian. He's just kind of a general historian, and a lot of his stuff is kind of questionable. Um, but uh, he writes of a number of people, um, and uh, he writes um, that Cyrus, uh, he, he thinks that Cyrus was the immediate successor, um, and he was already emperor. And uh, that, um, now he writes about Cyrus, who had his, he had a maternal father whose uh, name was Astyages. He figures into this story. And he was from Mede. Um, and so, in this history, it happens, now this all happens prior to the fall of Babylon. But, but some people believe that in all of this happened, uh, that, that there was a general uh, whose uh, name was Gubaru, who was a Persian as well. And, and so that Cyrus, being in Persia, put this Gubaru over, now Amid, over this part to, to rule Babylon. And now that seems to contradict what, what our text tells us because it seems that this Darius the Mede wanted to put Daniel over it. So that kind of, uh, maybe that would be a guy under him. I don't know. But there is a, another guy who's kind of interesting and this is Xenophon. Now a lot of people criticize him too, but Xenophon is a special kind of historian. He's kind of like Josephus for the Greeks. He was, he loved military history. He just focused on military history. And, and, and so all this stuff, he seems to be, get pretty accurate. Um, he records that Cyrus had a brother-in-law named Cyaxerxes, who's a son of that Esther guy, right? Uh, and uh, Astyages, there we go. And, uh, and he actually temporarily held the kingdom. Uh, so the Cyaxerxes was a Persian, and he comes before Cyrus, and Cyrus is a general under him, which is kind of what I referred to before, uh, and, and that he will quickly become the emperor because Cyaxerxes was kind of like a Belshazzar. He was a partier. He kind of liked that, that thing. He was not really a great military leader or a, a great conqueror. He only would have had the, the kingdom for a short period of time. In fact, uh, we know that he dies about two years into the Babylonian or into the Persian Empire. So, so he, whether he was ruler or not, he doesn't live long, and that's confirmed. Uh, and, and so uh, Xenophon says, this guy was actually the emperor, but he was just kind of a guy that liked the fun part of it. And that the real power going, which is why people think that, that Cyrus was the emperor, was because he was kind of the acting emperor. He was the guy that, that really was the mover and shaker. And when, when, uh, when Cyaxerxes dies, he just is the natural guy to, to step in. And so, because uh, Cyaxerxes is a Persian, uh, this is looked at by many as being the identity of Darius the Mede. And all of this seems to fit with, with, you know, with the narrative in Daniel. Um, it explains the relatively short 
mentioned between you know between this part of Daniel and, and then the rest of the references to Cyrus, and uh, uh, it explains it just kind of seems to, to fit in with, with what we're talking about. And so so once again, the critics are going to have to be um, have to walk away uh, having come up short. The Bible is true, and we can trust it. So um, Xenophon's character uh, assessment of the situation is kind of interesting in this because we kind of see that character in this story that we're going to read. So we're going to continue on here in chapter 6 because this is a famous story. This is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And we see in here kind of a character flaw in or a lack of really comprehension of, of things going on in the kingdom. A lack of understanding of the people that he's working with. So we pick this up in verse 4. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter. He says, So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. So these men said, We will not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. And the governors and the kingdoms of the kingdom and the administrators, satraps and counselors and advisors have consulted together. Uh, we're, we're all the smart people. You should listen to the smart people. Uh, we, we've, we've figured out a good law here that whoever prays to any god uh, for the next 30 days, um, except you, O king, will be thrown into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree, sign the writing, so that it can't be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot change. So therefore, Darius signed the written decree. And you, you just kind of see a guy who's there to go along with whatever. Well, I, I don't know what's going on in my kingdom, but I, these are the smart people, so I'll just do what they said. You know, they, um, so so the, the, you kind of see this kind of character flaw. So when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. So then these men assembled and found Daniel, of course, praying and making supplication before his God. They went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions... Didn't you sign some law, King? Like, like <laughs> I just love the the uh, the irony of these people. Um, I, I don't know. It seems like there was a law. You say, oh yeah, I did sign this law. Um, so the king answered, said, "Yes, that's true. According to the law of Medes and Persians, it, it can't change." So they answered and said, "Well, that Daniel, who's one of the captives from Judah, does not show regard for you, O King, or for the decree that you've signed. But he makes his petition three times every day." The king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. <laughs> greatly displeased with himself. He set his heart on Daniel to rescue him, and he labored till the sun went down to deliver him. The men approached him and said to the king, You know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command. They brought Daniel and threw him into the den of lions. But the king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God whom you serve continue, he'll deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signets of his lord, so that the purpose concerning Daniel 
might not be changed. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought in front of him. And so his sleep went from him, and the king arose very early in the morning and went quickly to the den of lions, and he came to the den and cried out with a crying voice to Daniel. The king spoke said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the den of lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. Also, O king, I have done no wrong in front of you. And the king was exceedingly glad for him and, and commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the lion's den. No injury was found on him because he believed in his God. The king gave the command and said to bring the men who had accused Daniel, and they threw him into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke their bones in pieces before they ever reached the bottom of the den. So King, Daniel, or king Darius wrote to all the people's nations, languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every part of my kingdom men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end, and he delivers and rescues. And he works signs and wonders in heaven and earth, and has delivered Daniel from the power of the lion. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So he as ends here and it says that it talks about him kind of crossing over and that confirms what we're talking about, crossing over from the time of Daniel into the time of, of Cyrus. And there's this, uh, like we've said, we've, we've seen this going back and forth of various guys and he kind of seems up and kind of seems down and has some of these moral failings and then, then seems to be good. It's like, well, that kind of finished good. I would have liked him to, to have a little bit more presence of mind, a, a little bit more confidence in this God before he got into this mess. But what we want to talk about today is visibility. We're talking about our interactions. We're not going to really focus on the saving part, and that, that's the part we all are interested in, is the, the part of the, the saving of, of you know, the lions, and maybe we're not so interested in the little kids being thrown into the lions, then that kind of takes a sharp surprise, like, okay, well, that, that's not a nice part. But uh, we want to talk about the early part, and we're going to focus on Daniel here. I want to talk about visibility. First of all, I want you to know that you are being watched. Daniel chapter 6, verse 4 says, The high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for a complaint against Daniel with regards to the kingdom, but they could not find any ground for complaint or fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Daniel has been a high-profile person for 70 years. These people, as we've said, have been biding their time. Now, maybe not all of them were there at the very beginning, but, but they're a continuation, and these are people that have observed them. These are not new people. These are people from Babylon that have been in and watching him and have been jealous of his position for years. They've known that, that Daniel had it in with Nebuchadnezzar, and likely... He had an in with the other rulers because he had a, uh, that connection provided him an in with the, with the royal family because of Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, who was the, later the queen mother. And we saw through this story her calling on him whenever something is needing to happen. Something good. Oh, bad news. Call Daniel. 
And they've been looking for a way to get rid of them, and they found no way. But now, in the middle of, of all this transition, they see an opportunity, because now here are people that don't know Daniel. Here's our chance. And, and here's this little window. And we can arrange things politically and, and we can get rid of the guy we've always wanted to get rid of. Well, that quickly faded. Just because the magicians haven't figured into the story so far, we, we should remember they have been watching and they've been a part of this. They've been... As we say, they've been keeping their powder dry for the right moment. Now's the chance. But he has unassailable integrity, which is what we see here. He has established his character. And so as we say, he has a core of faith. Daniel 6.3 says, This Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. We could say he was very spiritual, right? We're going to uh, talk about that in just a second. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So, so here, Darius, we don't know. Was this the first couple of months? Is this the first... Whatever the time period is here, it's not that long before... before Daniel has, his reputation precedes him, and the new guys like him. They figured it out, and he quickly rises, just as he had as a young man, rises to the top in front of these new people. He was, he's very visible in his faith. It was his core. Remember, this is... Darius is only here for two years. So whatever this happened, this happened quickly. A 90-year-old man is so visibly righteous. We'll look at our society and, 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 and how many 90-year-old men are highly visible. As, as people age, they kind of... We, we allow them... And it, we nursing homes, and there's all sorts of things, but we kind of move people into, a, into a, a, a part of society where they're not that visible. But Daniel, Daniel has this visibility, and he will not back down. I want to look at something else about visibility that we often operate under the assumption of anonymity. And nowhere is this more true than in social media. Right? How many careers, how many, how many things have... Had, someone posted something ten years ago. Now they're a public figure. And someone somewhere, for whatever reason, feels the need to go digging... And it's funny, it happens the same way every time. Oh, I'm going to delete my account. That's going to do any good. Someone's already got screen... The next day, there's screenshots of it everywhere. Yeah, that was, that was real brilliant. Oh, my, my, my account was hacked. No, it wasn't. And people operate under the assumption of anonymity. 
because they think no one is looking. Daniel operates under the assumption that he is public. So we move to the, the next idea here under this is, is the erosion of faith. And we're going to look at this kind of from the perspective of the people who are in opposition to him. The people that are in opposition, Daniel 6.5 says, The men said, We will not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection to the law of his God. And this is what we call driving a wedge. You've heard of a wedge issue, right? So they realize that they're not going to be able to separate him from his morality. His, his core of his spirituality is that's, that's who he is. And so uh, he's so attached to his virtue. So, where do they see the opening in his religion? I want you to notice the difference between those. Um, have you ever heard, I'm not, spirit, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual? That's supposed to sound smart. That's supposed to sound, um, uh, well, I'd say religious, but that's supposed to sound not religious. Uh, it's supposed to sound like I'm a, I'm a super Christian because I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. But there's something important here. We talked about Daniel being spiritual. James 1.27. We're going to go back to, to Daniel in just a second. But he says, uh, James wrote that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to, keep, or to, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Uh, religion really is this. There is, is maintaining your connection to God and man. Spirituality is that inner core that we talked about, that, that inner thing that you have. But maintaining the visible connection between God and man, that's the religious part of it. And the two are not mutually exclusive. Religion is not a dirty word in the Bible. They're both necessary. And I want you to understand that Daniel maintained both. They could not find any... They, they searched and they, they could not find any chinks in his armor of his spirituality. We saw that. So they attack his religion. So now we move into his religious observance. And I want you to notice that he maintained that as well. What is the first thing he does? Alright? Well, we're going to get to that. Before we, before we look at that, I want to notice one other thing that they do. It says, all the high officials of the kingdoms and the prefects and satraps and all this, right, all these guys got together. They agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and force an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days uh, would be cast into the lion's den. And so the next thing they do is apply pressure. They've got a wedge issue, and they're going to drive it home with some pressure. Put some pressure on Daniel. In this case, uh, the impetus is, is his personal safety. It might be different. It might not be your personal safety. There are many pressure tactics used throughout the Bible. Not always physical. Frequently physical. And there are many different ones used today. It could be political pressure. 
laws that localities enforce uh, to put pressure on people to, to act a certain way or to allow certain things, maybe to not act a certain way at the risk of jails or fines. It might just be jail, but it might not even be jail. It might just be a fine. It might be shutting you down. There's economic pressure, employment, education. What will you do? How, how far are you willing to go in terms of education? Well, if I do this, I, uh, what will my grades be? What will this happen? Well, how will this affect me? Some people might not do it in a negative way, but the pressure might be to incentivize a particular behavior. Well, I'm more popular when I do this, aren't I? So so there's an incentive to go along with with whatever the behavior is. And these are the pressures, the types of pressure that people come under. And so we want to close looking at the open conflict with these because that's what Daniel sees. That It comes to an open conflict. It has to. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows and his upper chamber open. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He had a habit already. Open conflict is necessary. Daniel recognizes we're going to have to fight this sooner or later. And sooner is better. So Daniel gives them an opportunity. Here we go. Here's an opportunity. You want this. A conflict requires an opportunity for ideas to come into contact with one another. So he made sure he had an opportunity to be seen. There is something about age. I don't know. It's just the I don't care attitude. (laughs) It's a guy by the name of Harold Buckles uh, up in Oregon. He was a a 90-year-old preacher. And a a guy I know uh, from out west was telling me the story about Harold Buckles. Harold Buckles, I met him once uh, before he passed away. and uh, He was in line at a Wendy's. And uh, there was a, a woman in front of him. And, uh, and she had a child that was not behaving properly. And she said, not to him particularly, but out loud, I don't know if she was just embarrassed or, or whatever, she said, I don't know what to do. Harold Buckle said, I do, will you let me? <laughs> There's something about being 90 that you just don't care. <laughs> He's, who's going to say something? Now, if a 25-year-old guy says that, probably going to be a different reaction, but you just kind of ignore a 90-year-old guy. Right? Uh, so maybe that's Daniel. Daniel's just 90. He's like, I don't care. Boom, here I am. Right? I, I don't know. But whatever the case may be, Daniel says, I'm going to be public. I am not going to hide away and quarantine myself and try to be religious by myself. I'm going to be public about what I believe. The idea that we have to be quiet and secret is a convenient invention of society around us. 
Daniel knows they want to catch him, so catch me. He is not just public, but he is frequent. He's going to make sure, just in case they didn't catch it, uh, you know, just in case they got up late. Here I am, again, hand again. Every opportunity to observe his faith, it is a habit. And it has been a habit with him. It's as was his custom. Sometimes it is hard to open your mouth. That is true for all of us. It's true for preachers. It's true for elders. It is difficult sometimes. The more we do it, the easier it is. And we look at Daniel, I could never do that. Well, maybe. Maybe if you're 25, you couldn't. But if we've had that habit, then when we're 90, it might not really be that difficult. It might just be like, I don't care. We do need to make it public and frequent. I want to tell you about two men as we close. The first, uh, was, he lived a little bit before photographs, so I just have a bad painting of him. He's not that young. Uh, Samuel Whittemore was an American colonialist from Massachusetts, and um, uh, he fought in the Revolutionary War. Um, <clears throat> before he enlisted, he was on his farm and watched a, uh, uh, some British soldiers uh, chasing some retreating American soldiers across, uh, across his farm. He got mad. So he went into, his, uh, went into his house and got his musket, got two pistols and a sword, and, uh, and went and enlisted. Within a, a few days, he was at a, at a battle, they, uh, either Lexington and Concord or Arlington, Massachusetts. He was 78 years old. In the conflict, he shot and killed one man with his musket, shot and killed another man with his pistol, injured another with his third pistol uh, by the time that they got to him when he pulled out his sword and injured another. They beat him, they shot him, they bayoneted him and left him in the ditch for dead. A few minutes later, uh, another colonialist came across him reloading his musket. Um, they obviously stopped him and took him to a, a nearby infirmary, which was just a house where there would be somebody trying to treat people and said that he's going to die very quickly. But uh, being a stubborn old man, he lived till 96, another 18 years. The other man that you see, a younger man, is the youngest man ever to die in Vietnam. He enlisted at 14 years old. His name is Dan Bullock. Uh, you see him here shortly before he died at 15 in Vietnam. Um, the challenge I'm going to leave you with is to enlist. And uh, age doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter. Old people can enlist. Young people can enlist. We've, we've covered the entire history. Daniel, we're going we're gonna to kind of go through Daniel continuing, but, but this is the history of Daniel. And, and now we're going to start in chapter 7, and it's going to be a little bit different. He's going to be more about his visions and his dreams and things like that. 
Daniel is a man of visions. But we've covered the history. This is the last history. This is the last thing that we really know about Daniel in terms of events. We saw Daniel as a young man, 15, 16, 17, rising to prominence in Babylon. And and we see a 90-year-old man rising to prominence in Persia. Enlist and be public about your faith. It doesn't make a difference. There is no excuse. We have opportunities around us. And God says, you've got to enlist. You've got to be a part of this. We can be public. We're going to close with a a little information. We have opportunities. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, uh, there's a great and open door for effective service, but there are many adversaries. There are a lot of obstacles. Uh, And so we find ourselves this week with an open door for effective service, but it has some obstacles. So um, we are tentatively planning. <clears throat> and we have a, a, one of the things that this congregation is so richly, richly blessed with is educators. We have a lot. We have retired educators. We have current educators. We have special ed educators. We have lots of educators. Um, we have a situation in our community that needs to be addressed. We have people who need to go to work to put food on tables and they have kids who are now home and they're trying to figure out how to juggle that now we're a small congregation we can't help everyone it would be wonderful there's a lot of churches so maybe other churches are doing this as well we are planning to tentatively explore the idea for the next couple of weeks until people regain their collective wits and go back to life as it was like five days ago, to help and coordinate an on-site and use the facilities we have as an asset instead of sitting empty all week for parents in that situation. We're going to need coordination, which is why we are asking teachers who deal with stuff like this all the time, not me, uh, We're going to need maybe some support staff. And we need to enlist. Where possible, we know that some people are high risk. We don't want to put people in a high risk situation. As we talk about this, we'll be very rapidly sending out information. This is not something we can't back out of if we all go, this is a bad idea. But for right now, this is what we're planning to do. There is an open door for effective service. And we need as many hands on board to do something in the community. We, we wonder, well, maybe we should do VBS or maybe we should do this. And those are all fine things. But we've got actually something where people are up and down this street and we've got a school at the bottom of the hill and people are not knowing what they're going to do. And maybe some of you don't know what you're going to do. I know I was surprised yesterday to find that my public or my private school for our youngest three are also under this. I did not know that. Uh, so my kids are going to be here doing school. 
we have an opportunity to do something. So let's consider this and, and see how we can be publicly visible for the community around us.